for those who want uh, to mediate they must be aware that a mediator is not a judge the mediator is someone whose task is to dispel the negative things which separate the two sides out and keep what unites from the oslo forum welcome to the mediator studio a podcast about peacemakers bringing you stories from behind the scenes. I'm your host, Adam Cooper. My guest today is His Excellency Joaquim Chisano, who helped his native Mozambique gain its independence from Portugal, making the personal transition from rebel leader to negotiator and on to president, a role he held from 1986 to 2005. Since then, he's also taken on positions such as president of the African Union and the mediator for the Southern African Development Community. Today, he's chairperson of the Joaquim Chisano Foundation, which promotes peace, social and economic development, and culture. Your Excellency, welcome to the Mediator Studio. Thank you. Thank you, Adam. I'd like to begin with your early life and motivations. You were born in a remote village in Mozambique, which was then under Portuguese rule. And is it right that you were the first black student enrolled in the only high school in the country? Yes, indeed. In the high school, I was the first but when i speak about black don't make a confusion because if you were in america i would not say so but in mozambique the colors were not treated as black so when i went in there was a colored student and but completely black it was me in my first year there was one of the white students who would like to 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 feel how how the black person feels pain i had some sore on my left hand elbow and he just came there and he punched me and he laughed he said i wanted to see how the black feels but look at him he even doesn't cry so i had to charge on him wow <laughs> and i used my head <laughs> to hit his head because my elbow uh, was paining and so i said well i wanted to see how the white <laughs> reacts to this <laughs> and so you had that sort of spirit that fire in your belly from a young age it sounds yeah, like yeah but but then uh, you know in uh, high school i learned that when you, you are a newcomer you had the right to be protected by someone and so i was protected by a, a white because there was no other black and it's it's one who protected me when someone wanted to hit me now the thing is that at school i was with all these whites but once we go out of the walls of the school I was by myself. Each one went to his home alone. Even if we had to go on foot in the same direction, he would go separately. Because they didn't want to be seen Because with they you? Because they wanted or? to be seen in, in the company of, of this black. A friend, I used to go to his house. His, his mother would give me some cake to, to eat with tea. With and we would study together. But when we had to go to the cinema, 
The cinema was for whites, but I forced in my entry uh, at that cinema. When he discovered me there, he was uh, astonished. He said, oh, Shisan, you also here? I thought that he was going to come and sit by me, but he said, but I'm sorry, I cannot sit there because I have someone to sit with down there. Mm. I was in the best row for the, the cinema, but he, he, he preferred to go just because he didn't want to be seen yes. too close. It sounds like you uh, had the sort of fire in your belly to, to push back against the oppression and racism from a young age. You do well in school and you, you head off to, to Lisbon to, to study medicine. But I understand you had to cut your studies short. Yeah. Why was that? Yeah. Um, unfortunately, I arrived in, uh, in Lisbon in the very year when the unrest was very big in Angola and uh, in Portugal also, I felt that something was boiling there. What I understood is that there was a persecution of the Angolan students and uh, then we came to understand that we also, the Mozambican, can be persecuted as, as we felt that we should start something also as a liberation movement and so on. So we were making plans, we were meeting together. We you went were taking inspiration from all these anti-colonial movements colonial which, were, movement which were happening across the continent at the time. Yes, yes. So it was after the famous uh, the declaration of December 1960 and Portugal would say, no, we will not decolonize. So it's... It was a, a boiling year, and uh, soon after, and all uh, students from the colonies decided to leave Portugal. Some with good knowledge to go and join their liberation movements, some to go and study somewhere else. So in my case, we had to find out what was happening in Mozambique, because if it, nothing was happening we ourselves were already resolved to go and do something. And when you talk about doing something, you're, in your case, you became a founding member of, of Frelimo, the, the Mozambican Liberation yes, Front, yes. and you know, pledging to fight Lisbon until you won your independence. Tell me about your role in the liberation movement. Well, uh, we learned that there were two liberation movements already on the ground based in Dar es Salaam, the Namo and Mano. We learned also that there was uh, a conference of the liberation movements of the Portuguese colonies and uh, had a, a Mozambican as a secretary general of that conference. So we contacted him we met, and uh, he said, we must yes. work to unite these movements. That's why I went to Dar es Salaam and start to try and convince the two movements who were there to unite. Uh, so this was my first task as a mediator. You are tasked with bringing together sort of common cause amongst those who, who wish to kind of fight for, 
for independence for Mozambique. And then, as I understand it, Frelimo was formed in 1962. And your role was in intelligence. Can you give our listeners a sense about what your day-to-day looked like? What did it actually mean to have the role that you did in the liberation struggle? Well, first of all, uh, my, my, my role was uh, that of working in, in the sector of education. Eventually, I was also a teacher in secondary school in Dar es Salaam. Then uh, I went for military training in the Soviet Union. And uh, when I came back from that training, they learned that I had been trained also in a, a, what I could call underground movement, mm. which means to how to operate in a, in a ground movement in the territories occupied by the enemy. But they confused that with security. <laughs> and so when I came, they said, you have to take this uh, portfolio of security. I said, but I know nothing about security. <laughs> and so uh, uh, they decided to send me back to the Soviet Union. For more training. For more training. <laughs> what we want is counterintelligence because the enemy is infiltrating a lot of people amongst us and so we want to see how do we organize ourselves it was very difficult was it ever dangerous danger yes 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 there were lots of infiltration people were trained from the commandos and so on some would come as a deserters trying to be members of Relimo, but then we discovered that one this was an envoy from <laughs> The, the impressions of Portuguese. What would happen to them? In some cases, they just escaped in, from our hands, and some lost their lives. <laughs> Unfortunately, yes, things like that happen. It must happen because the uh, war. Many people would have lost lives anyway. And that struggle for independence lasted a decade. And I understand that eventually you had the Lusaka Accords in 1974, which envisaged this handover of power to, to Frelimo and kind of set the stage for independence. Frelimo had all but won the war, and, and you're appointed prime minister of this transitional government. What did that feel like when you heard that news? Well, the first thing is, is why me? <laughs> <laughs> well, why? <laughs> why me? I, I did not know. It never, never came uh, very much explained, but uh, I heard that uh, they regarded me as the coolest uh, man. When the, there were difficulties, uh, they thought that I w- would remain cool and calm. Well, I had to accept because it was a task, a mission given to me by the let us call it the party, but the front, but the, we had to obey and then ask questions <laughs> later. <laughs> and so I went there. It was not easy because uh, what I had to do, actually it was to, to travel in small planes, in helicopters, uh, to visit in a period of nine months all these places to replace the governors, uh, 
administrators and whatnot, and to continue to rule the country together with the, the Portuguese because uh, it was a, a joint government. And then eventually you're ruling the country alone without doing it jointly with the Portuguese and Mozambique becomes independent on June 25th, 1975, 10 years after Frelimo had been founded. But the situation that you faced fairly soon after independence was a difficult one because very soon afterwards, the civil war breaks out with the rival political party, the Mozambican National Resistance, Renamo, which had South Africa and Rhodesia's support. And that's a civil war that claims eventually almost a million lives. And your life takes a dramatic turn in October 1986 when the plane carrying President Machel back from a meeting in Zambia crashes and the president is killed. You were flying back from New York after addressing the UN General Assembly as foreign minister. Their backroom consultations not involving you and it's decided that you should be president of both Frelimo and the country. But you say no. Why? When President uh, Michel died, the members of the political commission decided to meet without me. And then they sent me a emissary to come and tell me just that I must accept. And he didn't say what. <laughs> and they said, oh, yo, you know, you normally refuse. But this time, I'm telling you, you have to accept. I said, but what? And so they sent me another delegation. And uh, that delegation was more emphatic. Said, this is a task we are giving you. You are going to be the president of Relibu. Don't refuse because it's a task. If you refuse, we take it as an act of indiscipline. I said, okay, but uh, I am not prepared to replace President Samora Michel. But if you promise that you will be with me and solve problems, correct the mistakes if there are any, or avoid that I commit mistakes. Because I am telling you, I don't know how to start this affair. Say, no, 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 you can. We know that you can. So we will be with you. And they were with me. They were with me. That's why I, I could do what I did. What's hard to understand is, is the, the modesty that you had in that moment and the desire for a collective form of leadership when so many others would have just simply tried to grab that power for themselves. Oh, no, it's, uh, what, that's what I, I was feeling, but also because the, this was the line of our, 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 our movement, our, our front, of our party, the power belongs to the people. Yes. We actually, we, we were advanced in democracy <laughs> because our democracy was the participation of the people in the process of decision-making. And so they, I wanted that process to, to be concrete. So that, that's the part of the democracy I, I like most. After the elections, everybody would come together and say, let us push the wagons together it would be wonderful. As you become president, in this spirit of national healing or reconciliation, you start thinking about the unity of the country 
ending the insurgency fought by Renamo, what was your negotiation strategy to achieve peace? To achieve peace? Well, as foreign minister, I followed what Samora Michel was doing to look for peace. There was an effort of President Samora to negotiate with Renamo. President Michel had, after the liberation of Zimbabwe, sought to negotiate with the apartheid, and he did negotiate with apartheid. And an agreement was signed in the Nkomati Shores, in Nkomati River, which was called the Good Neighborness Agreement, or simply the Nkomati Accord. It was a pact of non-aggression, mutual non-aggression. So when he saw that he had negotiated with, he called the main, the enemy actually, which means that he would not regard Renamo as the enemy. He regarded Renamo as some tool which the enemy was using. Mm. So I said, we are brothers. Let us now discuss because the enemy is now out. And the signing of this accord prompted him to ask the very enemy to say, now you have been supporting Renamo, now I'm asking you to support both, in which way you mediate a dialogue between the government and Renamo. And the Minister of Foreign Affairs of South Africa did accept, and there was a mediation, and there were talks, and a declaration was ready to be signed on principles, but there was uh, adverse forces based in Portugal who sent a message for Renamo not to sign that document and to suspend the negotiations. What was the basis for them to retreat from the negotiations? The basis of them to suspend the talks was that they were afraid, so they, they wanted some more assurances or things like that. And so that's why I started the process of revising the constitution so that uh, we could accommodate not only Renamo, but any other people who may, would feel that uh, they have no way of coming together to take part in the governance of the country. So in other words, you were following along the lines of what your predecessor, President Machel, had, had started, and then it, when you took on the presidency, your primary objective was to think, how can I make Mozambique inclusive? And specifically, that there would be guaranteed rights for, for all Mozambicans, for including the former Renamo yes. rebels, and that they would have the chance to stand in elections and take yeah. part in political life. Yeah. Because our struggle was for that. We, we fought for, for, for democracy. We were fight, fighting against the, a fascist government of Portugal for democracies. So we had to put the democracy there. My motivation was, I was sure that the most part of the Mozambicans believed sincerely in Frelimo. So I said, let democracy come. Let it come. 
when we go to the elections, we are sure they are going to win. So mm. why should we be afraid? Let us put open the constitution to say, and I undertook to go to America and meet with all Mozambicans there, including those who were opposing us. I went to Lisbon. I did the same. And I did the same in Germany, where there were some Mozambicans. And I, we met we met all and said, come back home. If you like, you stay there. If you don't like, you go back to where you are, but you are going to be always a Mozambican. And I understand that you also spent quite a bit of time going around within Mozambique, trying to prepare people for the idea of peace, maybe people who didn't like the idea of reconciling with Renamo. Can you explain to me how you would try to convince ordinary people that they should be as generous in spirit as you were? It's uh, something which was very hard. The people were horrified by the atrocities committed by Renamo. And so they would not conceive me or the government, or any representative of the government, to go and sit with these people. Some would say they must ask for forgiveness and so on. So I said to the people, how do you convey this message to them if you don't go and sit with them? I said, no, send someone else. I said, but how they are going to trust that someone? The quickest way of convincing them to lay down arms is for me to go and talk to them or someone whom they will see clearly that he was sent by me. So I begged that they would understand uh, this motivation. They said, okay, do that. But it took almost one year. Yes. <laughs> uh, and uh, I didn't stop there. I said, you should be prepared to receive them. When they come, if they accept to lay down arms, it means that they are going to come and live with you. They said, no, no, no. And then I had to explain that, look, these people have been recruited among you. Some are your sons, some are your parents, some are your relatives and or friends. So they are there. If the war comes to an end, they must be sure that they may be well received at home. So it was, for me, the beginning of preparation of people for reconciliation. Because for me, reconciliation is not between the government and Renamo. This is not the most important. The most important is reconciliation among the people. Because there are mothers who children were maimed, there are children whose mothers were maimed or killed, and, and so on. So are those who killed their own parents or, or their own relatives. So this is the ones who should really be the basis of reconciliation in Mozambique. And if those conversations were difficult, I can only imagine how hard it must have been to talk to some of your Frelimo commanders about your plan to have half the senior positions in the army go to the rebels and the, not to punish or prosecute and to integrate as part of your peace plan. Tell me about the conversations you had with them to persuade them of this. Well, it, uh, it was not difficult 
because there is, there's a discipline. A chain, <laughs> chain of command. A chain of command. And that it's, it's not difficult to speak with the military. So we just said uh, this will be like that. Once they are with you, they will be in the chain of command. Uh, we have done in such a way that uh, one a, a chief of staff is, is one from Frelemo. He will be having a deputy from Renamo. And in all other units, it would be the same. And so this principle was respected. And there would be a chain of command, which means that it would cut off their relationship with their, their Renamo command. In fact, the first deputy chief of staff from Renamo, he immediately followed the rules of the army. And he did not go and report to, to his boss uh, in Renamo. He was following the orders here and he became a, a, an excellent soldier for the National Army. I want to ask a little bit more about your attitude to, to power, Joachim, because you organize these multi-party elections in 1994. You make it clear that your old rival, the head of the Renama rebel movement, uh, Afonso de Clama, that he must stand in those elections. You win those elections, and again in 1999, and you're re-elected as president. But then you create history by deciding not to run for a third term. Why was that? The first reason is that I felt that I had f played my role. I had been in power for a long time, and then... Uh, after the signing of the peace accord in 1992, I felt like, well, I have done it. Now I could go out because now the country is in peace. But then I, I said to myself, I have provoked this issue of uh, multipartism that created this. So if I, I, I go out from now, well, people may say that this man has created chaos and <laughs> he left. <laughs> I said, no, I will stay first to try and reconstruct the country. Also, I will stay to see how this uh, new dispensation works. Elections, multi-party elections, and the market economy. And so it took me to to run for the 99 elections. But then I saw that that was sufficient for that purpose. Secondly, is that uh, I had heard a statesman say that one who stays in power for 20 years, he should be careful because whatever he does, he will be seen as a dictator. Let me tell you who was. It's President Nyerere. President Nyerere, when he decided to leave, he was only 33 years old. But he had said, no, I should not wait until people start calling me dictator because of the length of time I stayed in power. So that was his way of thinking. While the people in Tanzania wanted him to, to remain. So that was a, a, a good a inspiration for me. I said, yes, I've overstayed 18 years. Now, well, it will be 18 years when the elections of 2004 come. Uh, so I think that I, I must say goodbye. So three years before, I started 
preparing people to let me go. So when you leave office, I don't know whether you thought that you would be kind of going into retirement, but you pursued actually a second career as a mediator across the African continent on behalf of the African Union, on behalf of SADC and the UN. Was it difficult for you to leave the politics of Mozambique behind and dedicate your life to issues in the region? Yeah, it, it was a bit difficult because I had thought that I would be among the grassroots to start to learn how to live as a common man and to feel the, the problems on, on the base. I thought there would be more time in my village and because uh, since I left uh, Mozambique uh, to go f- for studies in, in Lisbon, I have never been uh, together with my family for a long period of time. And uh, my mother was still alive and um, my brothers were still al- all alive. And so I thought that, well, I would have this time to compensate from what I did not uh, live for many years. But as soon as I left in 2005, I was called by the Secretary General of the United Nations, and he gave me a task to go and help create conditions conducive to a peaceful elections in Guinea-Bissau that year. And so I thought something which I should not uh, deny or reject. And uh, we did a good, a good, a good work there. And uh, the, the elections went well. Then uh, he did not stop giving me assignments. <laughs> I'm curious how you feel about the state of peacemaking in Africa today. Yeah. Because in, in Mozambique, it, it's so striking how gracious a victor you were treating your former enemies with respect, giving them a role in the country, which is probably not the approach taken by most political leaders today, sadly. Do you find that depressing when you look at what's happening? Well, it's uh, that each country has got its own characteristics. The way the people live inside there, the the history of it, 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 how they came to power, some of them, and the, the whole history, it's, it's different, you know. We, for instance, we had created a sense of unity in the country. We have many tribes also, but the, the ethnicity is not what governs even the creation of a party. Fortunately, we put a legislation to prevent this to happen by saying that a party to register has to show that it's represented in all provinces by a quite considerable number of, of people. So that has decreased the, the, the tendency to create ethnically-based parties or groups. We feel that we are all Mozambicans, so we are no longer speaking about tribes and races, and so we feel we are all, all Mozambicans. Although, I keep saying, we have to watch out because this can change if we don't work for it to remain as it, as it is, and we want to improve all the time, we must try to improve. You were a political leader during a period of, of quite considerable turmoil and conflict. 
but also in a time of, of great leaders who were led transformative change, yourself, but I'm also thinking of, of Nelson Mandela, who was a friend of yours, I understand. What did you learn from him? Oh, my, Mandela is a, his integrity. Mandela was uh, uh, respectful. I was embarrassed to be with him because he always regarded me as a senior while I regarded him as a senior. So this humbled me. So I have uh, learned that, that modesty from him. And uh, again, this uh, charisma of him who brought this unity of South Africa, a rainbow, rainbow South African. Yes. I'd like to ask you about something more esoteric that came up in our research you introduced transcendental meditation to the yes. Mozambican military. Could you tell us why? Is that why you stayed so cool? <laughs> I was cool or, or, uh, before. As, <laughs> I, as I told you, people thought that I was cool. But this idea of this transcendental meditation was brought to my attention by President Kaunda of Zambia. So I decided to, to practice it myself. Yeah. And I felt that well, it was uh, giving me some relief. And uh, I read a bit of, about it, the effect which it would have in the society by bringing some peace of uh, the spirit of each one. And so I decided to see what effect would do it would create if I brought it into the army because the army is there, they have got their time of exercise, they could take 20 minutes meditating in, in big numbers. Well, I was not in a hurry to, t to make conclusions, but those people who were teaching this, they, they got excited and they started saying about it, the the things which they could see that uh, were different. For instance, they took uh, in, in, in Kilimane that uh, there was one whole year without car accidents. So they attribute this to the regularity of meditation of the unit which was in that place. So it was an experiment. If I may ask one final question. We're here at the Oslo Forum, honoured by your presence and those of mediators from all over the world trying to bridge these divides which sometimes seem almost impossible to resolve. Is there a message that you would like to leave peacemaking community today or maybe our younger listeners at home from your own life and experience about trying to mediate in today's world? Well, I would say for those who want uh, uh, to mediate they must be aware that a mediator is not a judge. It's not one who comes there and talks to people and say that you are right and you are wrong. You must be punished and you must be rewarded. No. The mediator is someone whose task is to try and bring the positive views from each side to come together and to dispel the negative things which separate the two sides out and keep what unites. So to bring their way of thinking closer to each other. Second, 
they must know that the owners of the uh, negotiations are the parties concerned and not the mediator that the mediator cannot dictate things to to them this process of confidence building it may take a long time but uh, it's necessary until the time they can talk and bring positive things so i would say that uh, development life cannot be successful without peace so whether it's difficult or not we must be prepared all the time to go on the path of peace through dialogue we should be always be open to dialogue and to take the first opportunity to do dialogue on that note we must end Joaquim Chisano thank you so much for being my guest in the mediator studio thank you very much and there we end this edition of the mediator studio to get more episodes as they come out please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts we always love to hear from you so if you've got views on anything you've heard please get in touch via the listener survey in the show notes on our website or do drop me a message on twitter at adam talks peace the mediator studio is an oslo forum podcast brought to you by the center for humanitarian dialogue and the norwegian ministry of foreign affairs our managing editor is christina buchold the series editor is evi krasner and the producer is christopher gunnis research for this episode was done by meithan chin and vedika pilai big thanks also to the production team in geneva and oslo i hope you'll be with me for the next edition until then this is adam cooper saying goodbye and thanks for listening